Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 26. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whosoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him. Oh, you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the reading of a word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Audra. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about rethinking the law and rethinking anger. There's kind of two parts. The first part really informs the rest of what we're going to be learning about over the next four or five weeks in chapter five. But before we do that, let's just pray because we need God's help. Father, uh, I need your help this morning. I ask God that you would fill me with your spirit, that you'd fill us with your spirit to be attentive to your word and that we would sit at Jesus' feet as the disciples sat at Jesus' feet to hear his teaching this morning. And we just pray, God, in all of this, that our hearts would be directed to you towards your kingdom uh, for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, as we get into the text, uh, I just uh, are you familiar with the game uh, Shoots and Ladders? People familiar with the game Shoots and Ladders? You're like, yeah, I've played Shoots and Ladders before, right? Uh, that game kind of looks a little bit like this, right? There's... There's a bunch. We're going to see what my artwork looks like, right? Uh, it's kind of a, a grid. Uh, Shoots and Ladders has this grid. And then, you know, the goal is to get to the 100. You start down here at number one, and you've got to kind of weave your way around, right? But uh, some of the crazy things that happen in Shoots and Ladders, right, is there's these ladders, right? And you walk, you come along, and then you see, you see different things, like different pictures where kids are doing good things, right? And they, whether maybe they're helping somebody, and then there are these ladders that go up from these good things that some of the kids are doing, right? And some, some come from really low and go almost all the way to the top, and you're hoping that you can take that ladder because they're doing good things because you want to get to the top quick, right? Right? We, we get excited about that. But 
So there are good things that you do to get up quicker, uh, but there are bad things that we see in the game as well. But if there's a bad thing that you see somewhere, you don't get to go higher. You go down a slide that takes you down. And then there's one that's towards the top that everyone hopes that everybody else gets, but you don't want to get because it takes you like way back to almost the beginning. And it kind of looks like a big mess like that, right? Well, in the first century, the, the people of God kind of viewed the law like that, where they'd come and they're, they're doing, you know, they, they do good things, they can get closer to this 100, they can get closer to God. If we do just the right things, we can get closer to God and we want to make sure we do the right things, we do extra right things, maybe other people will see those right things and we can, we can advance and we can be more holier and, and higher up than other people. That's what they kind of thought and we can sometimes feel that way in the Christian life as well. Like if we do, if we do the things that are, are good, we're going we're gonna to earn, we're going to earn some kind of blessing from the Lord. If we just do the right things, God's going to love us more. But Jesus invites his disciples to rethink the law as he goes through this. And he starts right out of the gate. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So Jesus didn't come to abolish this. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law. The weight of this doesn't pass away. The iota that's talked about is uh, a character in the, uh, in the alphabet of the, the Hebrew language that's like about the size of an apostrophe. And there are roughly 66 thousand of those characters in the law. And Jesus says, not even those little, little tiny parts of the law, none of that is going to pass away. And so that obviously is weighty. And even great saints of old have felt the weight of this. The reformer Martin Luther felt the weight of this. He did things as a Catholic priest. He was like, I've got to do things to earn God's favor. And he just did so many different things. He even took like ashes and put it in his food so that he wouldn't even enjoy food because he just wanted to have God love him. And he just, he just constantly, it was through his effort that he was going to get up to the top of that. And then he met the grace of God in meeting Jesus. And it changed everything in his life. Because Jesus fulfilled the whole law. Jesus fulfilled the whole law. Martin Luther said this. He said, the law must be laid upon those that are to be justified, that they may be shut up in prison thereof, until the righteousness of faith comes, that when they are cast down and humbled by the law, they should fly to Christ. The law humbles them, not to their destruction, but to their salvation. For God woundeth that which he may heal again. He killeth that which he may quicken again. 
So yeah, we should feel the weight of this, but we should understand that Jesus fulfilled the whole law, and that changes everything. And this is how Jesus fulfilled the whole law. We could take all morning to unpack how that looks, but I'm just going to share it in brief, and we kind of have a list on the screen. Jesus fulfilled the entire law because the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ, different prophecies that were made, whether it's prophecies about his birth or prophecies about him coming out of Egypt with his parents or prophecies about him dying on the cross and no bone being broken. There were prophecies that were made that Jesus fulfilled. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the demands of the law. And then Jesus perfectly kept the whole law. Every dot, every iota, Jesus kept. And by, by means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus fulfills the law. As it says in Romans 8, it says, uh, Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit. So Jesus fulfilled the whole law. But then Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, immediately, we like to distance ourselves from the Pharisees. You, you know, remember the Pharisees, we've talked about them before. They were religious elites who sought to do everything that the law said. In fact, they calculated that the law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions, and they tried to keep them all. They tried to keep them all. And our temptation can be that way, too. If we, if we do the right things, they try to keep them all. But their hearts were far from God. Outwardly, they were keeping these commandments, but their hearts were far from God. And that's the temptation that we can face as Christians. Well, if we do the right Christian things, then we're good. If we check off the box, then we're good. But Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants us to obey from the heart. But he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, in other words, not just do the things on the outside, but we also have to do the things on the inside. How in the world are we going to do that? We must cast ourselves at the foot of the cross and trust in what Jesus has done because we can't do it. We can't do what the law required. Only Jesus did what the law required. So we must first come before him. So if you've never trusted in Christ and you feel the weight of you got to do all the right things to earn God's favor, well, that is true. Apart from Jesus, you do have to do all the right things to earn God's favor. Every single person will stand before God on the last day and answer for the things that they do. 
Everyone will. But you have the opportunity to stand before God and have him see something different than your imperfect life. Because if you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you stand before God, he sees Jesus' righteous life, not your sinful life. So trust in Christ today. And, and believers, uh, understand that truth. Have that truth dear in your hearts as we navigate through the rest of this chapter. We're not going to go through the rest of the chapter today. But this truth overshadows or comes uh, out of this, these four verses. Because over the next um, six weeks, five weeks, you're going to, each of the passages start with things like, you have heard that it was said, or it was said, or you've heard that it was said to those of old, because Jesus is going to reference aspects of the law, not because it's only those six things that we have to do, but to paint the picture that he wants us to obey from our hearts, not just what we see externally. He wants us to redirect our hearts towards his kingdom because the object of law wasn't meant to push us down with all the mess it was meant to direct our hearts to something more to do what's right the hungering and thirsting for righteousness it was intended to be a guide to do more than what the law said but to direct our gaze to the righteousness of god and his holiness and because we were created in his his image to bring him glory so let us not just look at the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And that's what we are going to look at this morning as we look at anger. That's the first one. And over the next five weeks, we're going to hit different things, lust and oaths and, and such. So Jesus wants us to obey from the heart. So this is the backdrop. So Jesus then, in turning to Verse 21, he challenges us to rethink anger by giving up rage and contempt. So anger, like the, what comes out of what kind of describe that rage, and then the, the rest of the, the verse is really talking about contempt. It says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. And certainly we could be like, yeah, I've not murdered. We're good. I've not killed anybody. But Jesus goes deeper. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We'll get to the rest of the verse. What is anger? What is anger? Because we immediately, when we think anger, we think of that individual who just like, right? Somebody throws things around. Those are the angry people. Right? This is, but this is what author David Pallison said about anger. He said, at its core, anger is very simple. It expresses, I'm against that. It is an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something. You size it up and say, that matters, and it's not right. You encounter something in your world that crosses the line, and anger expresses the energy of your reaction to something you find offensive and you wish to eliminate. 
kind of a big definition, but we want to do that. So that, you know, if we, we see something that we don't like and we wish that it's eliminated, well, that means, you know, like, who, who has an anger problem in our church? I'm not going to ask you to look around and point people out. Because everyone in our church has an anger problem. You're like, what? What are you talking about? That's just you outward people that get really hot and bothered. No, no. If you've ever said in your heart, man, I hate that individual. I wish they would lose their job. I wish they were dead. I wish those circumstances would change because it's all about that individual. You may not come out. It may, it may for you look like just avoiding. Avoiding someone. But it's there in your heart. Just because you aren't murdering or slashing their tires doesn't mean that there isn't anger in your heart. Now, wait a minute. Jesus, Jesus got angry, so anger, anger can't be all bad. Yeah, it is true. Jesus cleared the temple. He called the Pharisees blind fools. He became angry at hypocrites, and he grew exasperated with his disciples. But Jesus' anger did not respond in rage. Jesus' anger was because of sin and injustice. But we're quick to be angry because of personal offense. Someone, no. Let's just get real, like get into our homes. Those of you who have children, or maybe even those of you who don't have children, maybe you're teachers and you have kids in the class, or maybe you're a boss and you have people that uh, you oversee and you ask them to do something, right? And they don't do it. And immediately you're like, oh, I am here to help and train you to grow. No, you're like, why did you disobey me? I can't believe you don't see the goodness of my leadership in our home, in this workplace, wherever it is, and you just kind of start to boil right up, right? Some of you fly off the handle. Some just, mm, it's right here. It's right under the surface, right? I'm just going to mm, push it, mm, right? You feel it because they should be obeying you, right? They should do what you say. It's hovering there, right under the surface. That's where we can be. We can take offense because it's against us. But let's look to Christ. How, when, when Jesus was attacked, when he was arrested, mocked, beaten, and crucified, he was quiet as a lamb as he was led to the slaughter. He did not rebuke them or offer a self-defense. Jesus was silent except to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And Peter even says of Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is calling us to the spirit of the law, not the letter. And Jesus displays the example of what that looks like. And he calls us to something greater. And he even goes on in the 
text and he says, well, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus isn't saying there's just kind of a graduated um, a punishment system. Well, if you do this, this happens to you, and you do this, it happens to you, and then you do this. No, he's kind of giving a broad brushstroke of, hey, there's, there's something here that you need to pay attention to. There's an attitude, and it all comes together. So anger, the, the rage that can be within us, or contempt, which is kind of like how we view other people. That's where insults and the, the phrase, you fool, I just want to define those really quick for us. So insults is a, the, the root word the name in Aramaic is called raka, and it literally means empty-headed. Or we would use words like numbskull, nitwit, blockhead, bonehead, jerk, go, go on down the list. Like that, that would be the word. Like that's just kind of condescending, putting others down. Now fool... That, that root word is the same root word that we use to, for the word moron. But, but it has nothing to do with IQ. It applied to those who denied God's existence and as a result fell into further evil. The psalmist wrote, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. So these words put together are painting a picture for us of, of, of being condescending towards others, of, of thinking really ultimately that others are worthless or that others are nobody or others are lesser than we are. Carrying out the spirit of these things are whether you say it out loud or saying it in your heart, well, that person is worthless. They're not worthy of my time. That person uh, is someone who I struggle with. They, they don't really deserve to be here. I would not shed a tear if that person suffered. Or again, like, I just wish they were dead. That'd be, that'd be great if they got in a car accident today on the way to work. That would make my life easier. Jesus is saying we should shun any whiff of being condescending towards others. We are not to devalue others. And, that, and we aren't to devalue others in the church, outside the church. Every person has been created in the image of God to bring glory to God. Ratchet that up with the believers. They've not only been created in the image of God, but then they've been redeemed by the Son of God who gave his life for them. Let us, let us remove any condescension. And, and I am guilty. I'm guilty in my life in different seasons when, when I was passionate about you know, certain dietary restrictions that I was going to be on because I was going to pursue good health and I was doing it and I would see other people who were doing it and I would look down on them and be like, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't have it. I might not have said it out of my mouth, but I thought myself better than them. Like, I can't believe they're doing that. 
There was a time when I thought, well, I've picked a particular school choice for my family. I felt led by the Lord to pick a particular school choice. And those who didn't have the same school choice that I have, I thought them lesser because they didn't do the, they didn't do the right one, the one that obviously God picked. And, and maybe I didn't come right out and say that to somebody, but yeah, if somebody had just chosen that other option, I kind of looked down on them. And there's other things in our lives. Whether it's the clothes that people wear, the car that they drive, the things that they choose to spend their money, it goes down the list. Jesus is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to see people for the, the potential that they can be. He's calling us to, to get right with them if we find ourselves in that place. Don't just say, well, I haven't murdered them. I haven't broken any of their stuff. I always returned it when I borrowed it. No, he wants more. He wants you to be leaning in. He wants you to have affection for others. He wants you to see you as the greatest sinner that you know. So that rather than anger that comes out, it's rather one of a peacemaker. It's one of those who are meek. I mean, the beatitude is just kind of a right here in the background for us. Rather than using the power that we have to force something to happen, no, we use it for, for good, for others' good, for loving others. So our heart inclination is to see where God is at work in the lives of others or see the potential of what God can do. And that's what we do as parents, right? We, we have kids, all right? If your kids sin, don't be shocked by that. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners that need a savior, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So when your child sins, don't be like, oh, okay, we've already been told they're going to. Your job is to rescue them, to share the gospel with them, to teach them, to instruct them, never to lash out and in your own anger because you just done or, or, or to use words that I've had to ask my kids forgiveness for using because I've said things that spoke to their character in my impatience because I've, I've hurt them. And, and it's that true in other relationships as well. It should be mercy. Blessed are the merciful. So go, and, and there, there's the call for us to be reconciled as the passage goes on. We need to give up rage, give up contentment, because this radical demand from Jesus is meant to drive us somewhere. Because even as you feel that, we can feel the weight of that, friends, because we're just like, ah, I, I feel this conviction. I felt it. I felt it as I was driving here yesterday and driving home. Driving here this morning, drove home to get some family members to come back. I just felt this weight of just like, oh, I just don't feel like I measure up. But we just have to remember, friends, that Jesus washed it all away. So even as you engage in the struggle, remember you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And he's at work conforming you into his image. He's at work in you. So don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters. 
but let's take action and lean in and pursue peace. So even as we rethink anger, it's just not about us being angry, but also rethink pursuing peace. Look at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Think about the picture that he's describing. Remember we were at Hebrews, we kind of talked about the temple and the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where you had to come from outside the temple courts to inside the temple courts and you had to go through some different things and, and the, the Gentiles couldn't go, could only go so far and the Jews could go up to where they make the sacrifices and the priests could go a little farther and only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies. So he's talking about, yeah, you've, you've made some steps here to come and offer your sacrifice at the altar for your sin. If you are there, because you're thinking about you and your relationship with God, you're coming to offer your gift at the altar. If you're at that place and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Like, I know you've done all this work to get there, but if you realize your brother has something against you, it, 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 it's not going to do you any, it's not worth it right now for you to come and just offer this sacrifice without being reconciled to your brother. Leave it there and go. Be reconciled to your brother. And friends, though we're not in the sacrificial system, we, we come to places of worship. Come here on Sunday. We go to our small groups. We might go to a prayer meeting. Jesus is saying it's not. Don't come to worship if you aren't right with somebody else. Don't come sing praises to my name while you are cursing somebody else. Get right with your brother. Don't let time. Now, I understand there, there, there's distance. There's time zones. There's, sometimes it may not be possible for you to get that done before you come to church on Sunday or small group. I, I understand those logistics, but understand the heart of it. Like, it's serious. Get right but Jesus goes beyond like when you have offended your brother. Like there is one thing. If you realize that you've sinned, yeah, put it down. Pick up the phone. If you, if you wake up in the morning and you're spending time with Jesus and the Lord brings conviction that you've sinned against someone in your family, like yeah, put your Bible down and go. Now if you get up early like me, maybe you're gonna wait two hours so that you can bless them so they can sleep two more hours. But seriously, Go. But Jesus goes beyond just like when you have an offense. Because here he doesn't say, when you have offended your brother. That's not what it says. What does it say? If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you. So it's more than just like when you have offended your brother, when you have sinned against your brother, you could be the innocent party and they may have sinned against you or they may have an offense against you. You have the opportunity to be an agent of rescue by making peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So it's not just about when you do something. If you remember your brother has something against you, you think, well, what do you mean? Like, I didn't do anything. They got lathered up over something that wasn't really that big a deal. I don't, why do I have to do anything? Because if they're caught in the place of anger, just like if you had been caught in the place of anger, they need rescue. They need reconciliation. They need restoration, just like you would need it if you were in that point. And God's given you the opportunity and called you to do something greater. Bigger than just checking off the box. Bigger than just you doing it. But you can go to them and you can find out. You can lay your life down just like Jesus laid his life down and have that hard conversation. 
He's saying don't walk in the back of the door on a Sunday morning when, and, and, and take the long way around and sit way over here. And someone else might be over there that you don't want to talk to because you know that you know, they're just a little lathered up over something. And the last time you talked, like you said some things and they said some things. And you know what? It'd just be easier for me to just come over there. Now make the beeline. Say, hey, we might not have time right now, but hey, can we talk after church? Or can we have, can we have coffee this week? Or tea? Or have lunch? Because I just sense there's just not something right between us. And I don't think that honors the Lord the easy thing to do is just to kind of keep it separate. And eventually it, it, the anger or the hurt turns into bitterness and bitterness turns into malice and it just gets messy. And it doesn't just affect you and that person, it affects the whole church, friends. We, we have an opportunity in our families. We have opportunity in, in our church. Ask yourself the question, are you right with everyone? Is there a twinge in your spirit when you see someone? If you have something against someone that's never been resolved, ask those questions. And Jesus goes beyond even just the church. I mean, this could be those in the church. He says, come quickly, in verse 25, come quickly to terms with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus isn't just talking about practical advice. Hey, if you get this figured out, you don't have to spend as much money and pay, pay so many fines. No, get, get it resolved. And there's kind of this flavor of referring to even those outside the body of Christ. So certainly don't call your brother a fool. Don't be looking down on the brother in Christ. Don't be condescending towards them. Get, get right with them. But even to those outside the church, Friends, we live in a day that's no secret to anyone, believer or unbeliever, where hate fills the air like a factory pouring out deadly toxins. We're all breathing the air. The first response is not to listen, not to understand, not to have conversation. The first response is to post as much as you can on social media and cut them out at the knees and push them down. That's the air that we're breathing. This is no secret to anyone in the room. It's no secret. You're on social media, you watch the news. What would happen if the people of God endured the lash and we went. 
What would happen if you walked across the street to that neighbor who voted for a different political candidate who has signs in their yard uh, that say things that you wouldn't agree with? What, what if you went over and, and you sat on their front porch or you had a barbecue with them and you just sat and you listened to them to understand who they were, where they're coming from? Rather than having your guns loaded, ready to unload all the arguments that you have, you said, no, Jesus has something better. Jesus has something far better. Because Jesus came and went to the cross to reconcile us with God. There was a great conflict. There was a great division between you and God, and he reconciled, and you want them to experience that. How are they going to see it? They're going to see it if you look like Jesus. They're going to see it if you pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, because the sons of God are the ones that make peace. And that's who you are because of what Christ has done. So this issue of anger and condescension, it's just so much bigger than just you flew off the handle while you were driving down the road at the person who was going too slow that pervades everything in our lives. And when we want to do it, like as far as it depends on us, we should live peaceably with all. That's what it says in Romans 12, 18. Not, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't done anything mean to them, but have you pursued peace? Are you being a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. And just some practical steps of peacemaking. Practical steps. Be in person. Don't text, don't email. Definitely don't post it on social media. Never have I ever seen reconciliation happen on social media. I suppose it's possible. If anything's possible with God. In person, face to face. I get it. Some people are far away. You got to pick up the phone. You got to call them. Or you got to use video technology and, and see them in their face. But have the conversation. Listen to them. Hear the tone of their voice. Let them hear the tone of your voice. And listen. Listen. Look for ways that God is working in them. Look for ways that you can be a means of grace in them. Don't see the stuff that flies at you. See what Jesus sees. Like what he saw you when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You were made alive. You were made alive when you were running from God. So if you see someone, that's all you see, whether they're a Christian or not. It's just you kind of see all the mess. No, Jesus came. He got in the mess. And so you're going to get in the mess to bring him glory. And I understand as we talk about these things, my, my greatest concern as we talk about these things is that you'll walk out that door and you're just going to feel a weight of condemnation that just makes you want to curl up in a corner and, and not engage with people. And, and it, it actually doesn't bear any fruit. It just makes you feel worse. And then when you find yourself in a place where you have sinned, you just feel condemnation. That's, that's not what Jesus wants us to experience. The place we need to go, friends, as we engage with this text, and I encourage you, take this text with you to your time with the Lord this week and just sit in front of it and say, Lord, help me. But the place you must go, the writer of Hebrews tells us, 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember the one who is speaking these words. His name is Jesus. And he washed your sins as white as snow. I know we've talked about that because there's been snow outside and some of you are hoping that snow isn't anymore outside. How come that we haven't been experiencing these warm temperatures? Well, it's coming, friends. We live in Michigan, so I don't know how long it will be. Might be August. I hope not. But when we see the snow, let it be remind us that we've been washed white as snow, but here's the reality. At some point, the snow is going to start to melt, and the things that are gray are going to start to change. And that just let that remind you of the work that God is doing. So even as you engage this, or as we engage the next five weeks as we seek to do the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law, as we seek to look at what God would have us to do, direct our hearts towards his kingdom, remember God's working because the buds are going to come on the tree and God is at work in you. So remember, God is at work. So when you read this, it's not, Jesus' intent wasn't to give us a beat down. Jesus' intent is to point us to something greater, to the opportunity that we have to display his character and to display God's glory. And my prayer is that we would do that as a church, as we encounter Christ, as we encounter him in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father, before we rush on, let's come to you. It would be easy for me, friends, right now to just pray and let's just move on to the next thing. But I, I think the Lord wants to get some things done in our hearts this morning. So even in the quiet right now, even as maybe some music is going to be played. Let's, let's just take a moment and sit before the Lord. Rather than listening to me pray, I want to encourage you to engage with the Lord right now. Maybe you're going to engage with the Lord by confessing sin that he has made you aware of. Maybe you're going to engage with the Lord by thanking him for sending his son. Maybe you're going to engage with the Lord to just say, Lord, where have I been blind? So let's just take a few minutes. Just where you're at, not with other people, just you and the Lord. You don't need to look around. And let's just engage with God about this text. Father, I pray for 
marriages this morning, that they would encounter your grace, that this text is designed to point us to. I pray for the parents in the room this morning, that you would help them. I pray for those of us who are children, all of us are children of parents, that we would have our hearts directed differently. I pray for the relationships in the room, God, if there are any that aren't reconciled, Lord, that you would do a work to have that happen. God, will we not be a people who avoids, but a people who engage for the glory of God? And Lord, by, in all of this, we need your grace because apart from the work of Christ, we are undone and we couldn't do any of these things. We wouldn't actually want to do any of them. We ask for your help right now. Direct our gaze to you because as we look at Christ, that's what's going to motivate us. That's what's going to guide us. That's what's going to direct us. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here more aware of Christ who didn't look at us in anger, but he gave himself, he made himself nothing, taking in the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. And he was obedient to the point of death so that we could be reconciled to you and would we be amazed. So change us, work in us, move in us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.